Have a seat. Thank you so much for your testimonies tonight. These have been wonderful. Take your Bibles. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Now, uh, if you're just joining us tonight and you weren't here this morning, um, I just wanted to let you know that, that tonight, today uh, has been our promotion and graduation Sunday, which means that um, boys and girls that are moving up in a certain grade sometimes move to a different Sunday school class. And of course, we also honor our high school graduates. They come into our college and career group, and then our college graduates actually stay because we've now combined our college group with our young professionals group, so we are college and career. Um, so they don't go anywhere, which I'm fine with that because I teach that class, and the more the merrier. But, uh, but, but we talked um, this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 11 about spiritual maturity and about growing. When I was a child, I, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things. But tonight I want to I share with you some biblical principles. And this is, again, more of a topical message by nature. We're going to be in different places in the scripture tonight. But I wanted to start in 2 Timothy 4, 8. And just talk about getting ready for final graduation. When I was preaching meetings on Long Island, uh, Massapequa. If you've ever been to Long Island, you know Massapequa. Uh, there's First Baptist Church in Massapequa. And we would preach there every, every year. I would, I would preach there uh, week of meetings for 17 or 18 years. And uh, there was a boy that lived right across the street from the church. And uh, my kids befriended him. And they would play... They play soccer together, throw a baseball together, or bocce ball, or whatever, and just kind of spend time together. And they'd always invite him to church, or sometimes we'd be helping put on a VBS. They'd invite him, and his parents would never let him come, but they would let him play with our kids. And one day when this kid was in junior high, I uh, happened to be out there. Cameron and Ivy were getting something, uh, maybe getting a snack or drinks, and everything going to bring him back out. And it was just him and me for a few minutes. So I just kind of asked him some questions. I said, so when you're not playing stuff like this and in school, what do you like to do? What are your hobbies? And he says, I love to swim. I said, oh, really? He goes, yeah, I swim competitively for my school. I said, that's cool. I said, do you have any dreams of maybe someday swimming in the Olympics and winning gold medals for the USA? He said, no, but I do want to get a scholarship. I said, oh, I said, you know, you're a junior high and it sounds like you already have some plans for your life. He said, yeah, I want, to, I want to swim competitively, get a scholarship to a college. I said, what do you want to study in college? Do you know yet? He said, I want to study law. I said, you want to study a law? I said, okay, so you're going to swim competitively, get a scholarship, go to school, college, and then go to law school and then pass the bar exam, become a lawyer? He said, yep. I said, then what are you going to do? He said, I'm going to live the good life. So I guess lawyers live the good life. I said, that's cool. I said, so and then, then you're going to be a lawyer, you're going to live the good life, and then what are you going to do? And he thought about it for a minute. He goes, well, I guess I'm going to retire. I said, okay, and what are you going to do when you retire? He goes, I'm going to live the good life. Must have been the family mantra or something at home. And then I said this to him. I said, what are you going to do after that? And he kind of looked at me and he goes, what do you mean? And I said, well, the Bible says in Hebrews 9.27, it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. When God created man, when he formed man of the dust of the ground, he breathed the man's nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. God said in Genesis 1.27, let us make man after our image, after our likeness so that we are created with an eternal soul, unlike anything else in God's creation. We are made in his image. And so I said, you know, you're going to spend eternity somewhere. And I began to share the gospel with him. He had never really thought about eternity. He had thought about swimming competitively, going to college, going to law school, passing the bar exam, being a lawyer, living the good life, retiring, living the good life, without considering where he'd spend eternity. 
And you know, there's a lot of different transitions that we go through in life. We graduate high school, maybe we graduate college, we go into the military, we serve in a career in the military, we come out after 20 or more years of career military service, we enter something else, eventually maybe we retire or semi-retire. And we go through these different transitions in life, but there's a final transition, and that is from this temporal life into eternity. And not everybody is going to enjoy eternal life. The gift of God is eternal life. It's not something that you can earn. It's not something that you deserve. We deserve death. The wages of sin is death. All of us have sinned. We deserve eternal death. And the only way to be prepared, Amos 4.12 warns us, prepare to meet thy God. The only way to be prepared for that final transition from this temporal life into eternity is to recognize and acknowledge to God that you've broken his law. That's called sin. Believe and understand that Jesus shed his blood on that night on the cross to pay for your sin, that he was buried and being God took up his life again, rose again from the dead, and he is the only way to have eternal life. He is the only one authorized to forgive your sins. And it is not by any merit of your own. It is all the finished work that he did on the cross that merits eternal life for you. And you have to acknowledge that and call on him for eternal life. That is the very first thing you need to do in preparing for the final graduation. Now, there are many of us in this room that have done that. There was that day when we trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, and we have an absolute assurance beyond the shadow of a doubt that if we were to die, that we would be with the Lord Jesus Christ. I could, I'm not going to, but I could share with you several near-death experiences that I've had in my life. And God spared me. But you know, in none of those was I afraid of where I was going to spend eternity? Because the Holy Spirit confirmed in my spirit that I am God's child through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and I am prepared for that final transition, and I trust you are as well. If you're not prepared, please talk. You can come and see me. You can, you, my wife, the one that gave the testimony over here, the beautiful blonde lady. Ladies, you can go to her, and she, she can help you with that. Uh, there are other people here born-again believers who can take the Word of God and they can show you the way of salvation. But please make sure that if you're not sure, that you make sure. Because the Bible says in 1 John 5, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, for those of us that know that, we need to be prepared. And so I have some admonitions. These are very simple. You say, Pastor Ty, where's this coming from? Well, part of this is because it's graduation Sunday, but part of it is also because my grandmother passed away on Sunday, Father's Day, on June 18th, on June 17th, my grandma had her 105th birthday. And when she, and, and on June 18th, she graduated to heaven. It was her final graduation. My grandma knew the Lord Jesus Christ as her savior and it was evidenced by the fruit in her life. And so as I meditated on that somewhat and just different things, Jimmy passed away recently thinking about him, other people that we know. Brad King's dad just recently passed away. You know, it just, again, it reminded me of some things, and so I'm challenging you. So look, if you would, with me for a few minutes. It's 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 to 8. This is kind of where we're going to start, and then I'm just going to navigate through a bunch of verses. Just listen closely, um, and, and we'll, we'll go through the passage here. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 to 8. Paul is writing to Timothy. And this is probably the last, the last words that, that Paul penned. He's about to be beheaded at Rome as a martyr for Jesus Christ. And he says, 
for I am now ready to be offered. That word offered is interesting. It literally means to be poured out as a drink offering. He was literally going to spill his blood as a sacrificial worship offering to God. Now, you know, if I shed my blood and died for you, I might be able to extend your physical life a little bit. Sometimes people sacrifice their lives to spare somebody else's physical life. But nobody can shed their blood and expend their physical life to give anybody else eternal life. Only God can do that. And the God-man, Jesus Christ, 100% God, 100% man, is the one who did that on the cross. But Paul is talking about this worshipful thing, martyrdom for him, was was going to even that was going to be an act of worship. As he's going to be offered, he's going to offer up himself in faithfulness to God as a sacrifice to be faithful and to be a witness of the gospel. I'm not ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. I'm transitioning from here to heaven. Look at this. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Talk about an epitaph on a tombstone. I'm going to talk about that for a few minutes. I fought a good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. You might think me a little morbid for this interest, although some of you might be kind of had this kind of hidden in your closet too, not really shared this with many people, so maybe more of you will identify with with me after I say this, but I enjoy going through old cemeteries and reading epitaphs. Um, if If you've ever been to Eatonton, Georgia, the home of Uncle Remus and Br'er Rabbit and all of that, in downtown Eatonton, surrounded by the town, is a Civil War era graveyard. And you go in there, there are some amazing epitaphs in that graveyard. I won't take the time to share some of those, uh, but, uh, to share any of those. But, but I was in a little town, and we preached several years in a row, at a little church called Good Shepherd Baptist Church in Henry, Illinois, a little farming community. They had a huge cemetery that went way back, so I went there. In the cemetery, there was a grave marker, a memorial stone, wouldn't you say, hon, probably about as long as this aisle is wide and probably six, seven feet high. On the opposite side of the headstone was the name of 12 children, 10 of whom died before they were three years old, and one who died in their teen years and another who died in their middle adult life. This man survived all of his children. But this man had in huge letters across the front of the stone, first thing you see, this quote, dying as he lived, believing that God never revealed himself to man. How sad. Because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the visible expression of the invisible God. Jesus said to Philip, he that hath seen me hath seen the Father. God did reveal himself to man in the person and work of Jesus Christ and in the pages of the scripture. And I wonder, who, why did nobody share the gospel with this man? How did he never pick up a Bible and find God expressed in the word of, in the word of God? Why did nobody ever witness to him? Did, was there not a church in the community back then? How is it that this, or did this man just so harden himself because of the terrible things that he endured in his life that he wasn't willing to believe that God revealed himself to man because he just couldn't believe that God would do to him what he was allowed to suffer? I don't know. But I trust that that is not going to be true of anybody here. 
dying as you live, believing that God never revealed himself to man because he did in the person and the work of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. For those of us who do believe that God revealed himself, the person of his Son, and we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, here are some admonitions for you. And this ties in with 2 Timothy 4, verses 6 to 8. Live the way you want to be remembered. Have you ever, have you ever gone to a funeral? And I, I know that we want to say complimentary things about the person who's deceased out of respect for the dead. But as you're sitting there hearing what that person is saying, in your heart you're saying, that's not accurate. They are building this person to the sky and that was not who they were. And you know better. But you know that the person's just being respectful and trying to put the best face on that person possible. Right? How much better for us to live the way that we want to be remembered? He'd give you the shirt off his back. Practice generosity. He always had time for everybody. Practice patience and compassion and listening. Man, she was a servant. Then do the thankless, unnoticed tasks for people even without being asked. And without getting your feelings hurt if nobody acknowledges what you did. Live the way you want to be remembered. That, that's how Paul was remembered. He fought a good fight. He finished his course. He kept the faith. Hey, listen, he fought the good fight. What's that mean? Well, he had to battle against the flesh. The flesh lost against the spirit. The spirit against the flesh, he writes to the Galatians. So that was a constant battle, but he fought a good fight in conquering the flesh and walking in the spirit. He fought the good fight of faith because so many, um, so many false teachers attacked the truth. And often when he's writing his epistles, in them at some point, he is confronting gross error that's being heresy that's being brought into the church and taught to the believers he fought the good fight of faith no that is not the embodiment of truth as delivered to us that is consistent with the old testament written scriptures and is consistent with the revelation of god to the apostles and so he fought the good fight of faith Hey, folks, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places, Ephesians chapter 6. Why? Why are we battling against the kingdom of darkness? Because we who are children of the light have been put on a mission by our Savior to proclaim the gospel. Jesus said in Matthew 5, ye are the light of the world. We are to shine the light of the gospel, the good news of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, both with the way that we live transformed lives that show God's grace and love that are consistent with his truth and character, and also that we proclaim with our lips and we foretell the good news. He fought the good fight. He finished the course. As you know, and I'm not going to get into a lot of this, but um, I, I enjoy distance running. Haven't been doing it for a couple of weeks, but I enjoy it. Hopefully I'll be getting back to it um, here in a couple more weeks. But you know, in, in the races that I have run, one of the most Neat memories I have was the very first marathon that I ran, which was the Thanksgiving Day Marathon in Atlanta in 2006. And the full marathon, marathon started at Turner Field by the Olympic rings. You ran through the city, a big loop, and you came back. 
If you're doing the half marathon, you actually started at the other end of the, the other side of the course in the city and you ran this way. And I remember a lady, I can't remember her exact age. What was it, honey? Early 90s, wasn't it? Late 80s? 89. Okay, 89. All right. <laughs> Almost 90. 89 years old. And she walked the half marathon with her daughter and granddaughter arm in arm. And she walked 13.1 miles, and you had to do it within a certain amount of time. I think it was like four hours or something like that, or four and a half hours. And she did it, and she crossed the finish line. And I have never seen anybody in my life more excited and more thrilled than that lady. Uh, we had gotten a motel right, right uh, from the finish line. I'd already finished the marathon and showered and was stretching out. And I'm just watching people finish the half marathon and the full marathon. And one of the last people to come across was that lady. But she finished. She finished. I've seen people literally crawl and drag themselves across the finish line. And you know, if you were to say, Pastor Todd, what is your greatest fear? My greatest fear is that I would not finish faithfully. That I would not faithfully run the course. That somewhere between now and the end of my earthly journey, I would deviate from the course that God has for me. And I would not finish faithful. And hopefully that fear drives me to greater faith in my Savior, to cling closer to Him, to be more obedient and careful in the Word, because I want to finish strong. You know that first marathon I was telling you about in Atlanta in 2006? Well, a couple months before that, there, I was preaching in the Chicago area, and there was a Chicago Fifth Third Bank Marathon. You say, how do you remember it's the Fifth Third Bank? Well, that's kind of a weird name anyway, right? So it kind of sticks in your memory, Fifth Third Bank. And, uh, and so it was kind of, and they televised it. So I was preaching on a Sunday. They run it on a Sunday. Sunday night after church, Chris and I are watching the news. I'm kind of getting some inspiration for running this marathon. You know, there's 30,000 or more people that run the Chicago uh, Marathon, Fifth Third Marathon. And it was televised. And, uh, and it was misting and everything. And there was a huge Fifth Third Bank decal right in front of the finish line. And the guy that was winning was running like this. He had his arms up like this. He's looking around. He stepped on that decal and it was slick. And literally his feet flew up. Now, the chip was in his shoelace. So he actually won because his feet crossed the finish line before the guy that was behind him. But he never broke the tape. He landed flat like this. He had a concussion. They took him off in an ambulance. I had it on video at one time. I actually had it as part of a PowerPoint. Preached it at the wilds to the staff about finishing strong. They were about halfway through the summer. Because he finished and he won. But it was a very embarrassing kind of a finish. He only had a couple feet left, full of confidence, arms in the air, looking around, steps on that sticker. Whoop, bang! Next thing you know, he's waking up on an ambulance stretcher. Folks, I don't want to finish that way. Praise the Lord. I know I'm going to cross the finish line because I'm saved. He gives unto them eternal life, John 10, 28, and they shall never perish. I have already. He who has the Son, John 3, has everlasting life, John 3, 36. I have eternal life. I can never perish, but I want to finish strong. So live the way you want to be remembered. Second of all, leave, live to leave a godly legacy. Proverbs 10, verse 7 says, The memory of the just is blessed, but the name of the wicked shall rot. Think about Abraham and Lot. Lot went with Abraham. 
God prospered Lot because God prospered Abraham. And Lot, you could say, received residual blessing because Abraham walked with God and he was called the friend of God and he believed God it was counted in him for righteousness. Their herds began to get so big that one day Abraham said, look, we got to do something about it. Our herdsmen are fighting. Tell you what, you choose which way you want to go and I'll go the other way where God has blessed us both so much we just can't be in this close proximity. Lot made a choice based on the temporal. He saw the well-watered plain of Jordan. It was towards Sodom and that's where he went. And Abraham, by faith, went the other way. Well, pretty soon, as you know, Lot goes, he's pitching his tent towards Sodom. Then he is sitting in the gate, which is kind of like sitting on the chamber of commerce, right? In place of authority. Then pretty soon he's living in Sodom and Gomorrah. Then pretty soon his daughters are married to the men of Sodom. He's vexing his soul today today from their unrighteous deeds. When the angels come and warn him, he goes to warn his son-in-laws and daughters that God was going to destroy the city, and they thought that he was making a big joke and trying to pull a fast one on them. Finally, the angels take him and his two virgin daughters and his wife out. She, her heart's still wistful for maybe her children and for life in Sodom, and all those things disobeys the command of God through the angels, looks back. She's turned to a pillar of salt, so Lot loses his wife. Then he flees to a little city. They don't like him there, so he flees to a cave. And his daughters say, well, our husbands are dead. All our prospects just got burned up with fire and brimstone. How are we going to provide in our old age? There's no social security. We don't have retirement accounts. What are we going to do? Let's get our father drunk, commit incest with him, and have children by him. And that's what they did. Instead of trusting God and believing God. They chose to do whatever they needed to do according to their own devices, no matter whether it was right or wrong. And they became, those sons became the head of two nations, Moab and Ammon. The Moabites, the Ammonites, enemies of Israel, who were wiped out. Lot did not leave a very godly heritage. But Abraham, through Abraham came the Lord Jesus Christ. What a heritage we have through the patriarch Abraham. I'm going to stop and talk a minute about my grandma Savinsky. My grandma Savinsky lived in West Virginia, a very poor and simple life. My grandpa was a coal miner. Uh, if they ate meat, they either caught it out of the Monongahela River or they shot it or trapped it in the woods. They had a three and a half acre garden that they worked every year in order to provide food. My grandma never had a lot, but she was very generous. When my grandma got saved out of a life, a terrible life, when my grandma got saved, God transformed her, and for years, my grandma taught the fourth grade girls' Sunday school class, sang in the choir, and every Thursday morning was on soul winning visitation. I've had people all over Fairmont, West Virginia, that when they find out I'm a Savinsky, said, I knew your grandma. She knocked on my door. People that are in other churches in the area that said it was your grandma that led my parents to the Lord, and I'm so thankful because through my family, I got saved. You know, my grandma didn't leave a huge inheritance, but you know what she did leave? She left a godly heritage. Some of, the, one of the, some of the sweet memories that I have of my grandma Savinsky are sleeping. My place at grandma's house was to sleep on the couch in the living room. She had a really small house. So, and one, and the memory, I loved it because she had these crocheted afghans and stuff that my great-grandmother had made that were sitting on. So I'd sleep on that, very comfortable. The train tracks were about 50, 60 yards from the house. And so the coal trains would go by at night. And they would rumble. And the house would kind of, kind of gently rumble and everything. And you would just have that rhythm of the train. Oh, man, I just love that. Precious memory. But you know, my grandma had a little chair just around the corner from the living room. This little hallway. And she would sit there. And she would pray. 
sometimes in Lithuanian, sometimes in Russian, sometimes back and forth into English. And sometimes I'd hear her praying for me in Lithuanian or Russian. My grandma had pastors all over the United States that were requested. They said to my dad, hey, Brother Jerry, we know your, your, your mom is a faithful prayer warrior. Would you ask your mom to put me on, would you ask her to put me on her prayer list? And my grandma would faithfully pray once a day, every day, for every pastor on that list. She prayed for me, my two brothers, and my dad, my brother-in-law, all of us are preachers, three times every day. My grandma left a godly heritage, and I'm so thankful for that. Don't get so focused on leaving an inheritance that you forget to leave a godly heritage. It is a far greater value. Then live to hear from Jesus, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Matthew 25, 21 to 23. His Lord said unto him, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliveredst unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. How many of you have ever had a teacher or a coach say to you, great job, I'm proud of you. It might have been out on the soccer field or the basketball court. Hey, you, let, you, you gave 110%. You gave it all that you had. That was great hustle. It was great attitude. You did your best. You were a team player. I'm proud of you. Well done. Doesn't matter what the scoreboard said, win or lose, I'm proud of you. Because you gave it your all and you exercised God, godly discipline sportsmanship. Maybe a parent that in a moment that was just kind of a little bit deeper than normal just shared with you how much they were in a good way proud of you and appreciated you. Said, good job. Well done. You know, as much as those things, we cherish them in our memories, they motivate us many times to excel. And by the way, parents, we often, and we have to, confront our children and correct them when they do wrong. But when they do right, we need to cheer them. We need to compliment them. We need to say, well done, good job, I'm proud of you, keep going. Man, that'll motivate your kids to try even harder. But that's nothing compared to hearing from the Lord Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life, the omniscient Son of God, well done, good and faithful servant. That means every day, you need to be living faithfully so that you can hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You know, it struck me one day when I was meditating on that passage. Jesus Christ, God, Bible says in Titus 2.12, God cannot lie. You know what that means? That means not every Christian is going to hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. Because remember, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, some shall be saved, yet so is by fire. The whole the sum total or a great portion of their Christian life is going to be burned up as wood, wood, hay, and stubble. Useless things that did not last the test of God's discernment. And I don't believe that God's going to say to every Christian in heaven, well done, good and faithful servant. Because not all Christians are good and faithful servants here. Live to hear from Jesus, well done, though, good and faithful servant. Then live to lay up treasure in heaven. Matthew chapter 6, 1921. 
to 21. Land not up yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves do not break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 11 to 15, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, Every man's work shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so is by fire. So what's that talking about? In Revelation, John's vision of the glorified Christ, when he describes him, what did Jesus' eyes look like? A flame of fire the very vision of the one who can look into the depths of our soul who knows us better than we know ourselves his discernment will test the eternal value of our christian life so whether you're a deacon or a sunday school teacher or work in the nursery or serve as an usher or you're on the cleaning crew or you go on a mission trip or whatever your ministry is and however you serve, if you are doing it to be seen of men, you have your reward. Jesus said that about the Pharisees. You love the greetings in the marketplace. Oh, doctor so-and-so, how are you? Oh, I'm, I'm good, but, but that's two doctors behind that name. Yeah, thank you. you know, and, and they love to make long prayers for pretense. What? To be seen of men. Jesus said, you have your reward. If you're serving God, so other people think you're a respectable Christian, because you feel like people are going to look down on you as not being all the Christian you ought to be if you're not doing that particular thing. If you're doing it because you feel coerced and only out of a sense of duty. Hey, listen, what ought to be the motivation for our service of the Lord Jesus Christ? Love. That's it. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. Out of gratitude, Lord, you have forgiven me of my sin. You have saved my soul from eternal death. You've given me eternal life and an eternal inheritance and an opportunity to lay up treasure in heaven. You've given me an incredible opportunity and an amazing future where I get to worship you and I get to serve you and be incredibly fulfilled in the millennial reign. And after that, I get to be with you for all of eternity with a future beyond human imagination and comprehension. Lord, little enough can I show my gratitude and love for you than to serve you in this way. And the amazing thing is we are saved by grace through faith. God indwells us by his Holy Spirit to teach us, to guide us. We are transformed by the word of God as we submit to God. It is God who gives us spiritual gifts. It is God who gives us opportunities. It is God who creates connections and relationships the whole, all my whole service, it's all of God, it's none of me. All right? That's like, that's like a hammer bragging that it just re-roofed a roof because it was used to drive some roofing tacks. That hammer is an inanimate object. It takes the carpenter, it takes the roofer to wield the hammer. Only we have a will. And we have an attitude. And we ought to serve out of love for God and out of gratitude to Him. You know, I will say this. I, this is my personal conviction. This is not clearly delineated in Scripture. But I'll guarantee you that I know that there are times when I have served the Lord and there's going to be wood, hay, and stubble in my pile. 
But I also believe God's by God's grace, there's going to be gold, silver, and precious stones. You know what? I want a treasure trove and a campfire. I don't want a bonfire and a piddly little few jewels sitting over here. I want to live to lay up treasure in heaven. And then finish strong by running faithfully. Hebrews 12, 1 to 3. Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience, with endurance, the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Folks, he's got to be our focus. He has got to be the one that we are pursuing after. He is the, the one that we are following his lead, who for the joy that was set before him, Endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. When you're ready to give up, remember that Christ did not give up. Remember that Christ went all the way to the cross and fully absorbed the wrath of his Father on your sin. That he died, conquered death, rose again. That he's given you eternal life and so much more. That he still, as our great high priest, makes intercession for us. That he is in heaven preparing a place for us. John chapter 14. And so much more. Don't be weary. In due season you'll reap if you faint not. And then one more thing, and this is all related. Keep your focus on the finish line. Romans 14 verse 12. A very sobering and yet encouraging, exciting verse of scripture depends on your perspective. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. You know, uh, some of you have young people that are in Christian camps, serving as counselors or other things like that. And uh, I was serving up at Camp Peniel. And I remember last year, and I'm looking forward to this year, that at the end of the week, uh, we're going to FaceTime and she'll say, hey, dad. This girl made this decision and this girl made this decision. I had an opportunity to, to see God do this in this girl's life. And man, it was just really neat to see what God did. And I got to be a part of it. And it's just so incredible. And you know what? When she calls, she's not dreading that phone call. She's anticipating it to share with me what God did. It's exciting. Hey, folks, so that every one of us shall give account of himself to God. You remember the chick track idea where there's a shoot screen and your whole life is played out before everybody? That's not biblical. Romans 14 and verse 12 says that every one of us shave account of himself to God. You can't hide in the crowd. I believe every Christian, and remember, God is the author of time. One day is with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. I believe that every Christian is going to have a personal one-on-one interview with Jesus Christ. And we are going to give an account for our life. Everything God's entrusted to us our spouse, our children, ministry opportunities, finances, talents, abilities, spiritual gifts, lessons that God took us through, all of those things. We're going to give a personal one-on-one account. So keep your eyes on the finish line. So often we get distracted by circumstances and by problems, but instead look joyfully with expectation to be able to give that account Because you know what? If you live the way you want to be remembered, if you live to leave a godly legacy, if you live to hear from Jesus, well done, thou good and faithful servant, if you live to lay up treasure in heaven, if you live to finish strong by running faithfully, 
and you keep your focus on the finish line, you will be able to give an account as a faithful steward with joy. Are you ready for final graduation? You know, today we had the joy of announcing that on Wednesday, in just a couple of days, the Bullocks are going to celebrate 76 years of marriage. Isn't that incredible? How good God has been. And we think, yeah, they're in their 90s. Death could come at any day for them. But you know, death could come at any day for any one of us. And while we cannot change what we've been up to this point, by the grace of God, we can change tonight. And we can be changed tomorrow. And we can live faithfully every day that we have remaining on this earth until we cross that finish line and have that final graduation into eternity. Are you living for that graduation day? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, it is with great joy and fondness that I remember my Grandma Ely, her quiet, joyful service, her sense of humor that shined through in almost everything she did, her love for you, her love for people, her graciousness, her generosity. I thank you, Lord, for my Grandma Savinsky, a faithful prayer warrior, a witness for you, a faithful discipler of girls, a faithful choir member. She invested her life for eternity. My Grandma Ely invested her life towards eternity, and I'm so thankful for that. And Lord, it's a challenge to my life to do the same. And Lord, help us not to just assume or take things for granted. Help us by your Holy Spirit even now to allow you and invite you to evaluate our lives. And Lord, as your Holy Spirit would reveal things to us that need to change, help us to change so that if you were to take us home to heaven this week, if we were to have our final graduation this week, that we would be ready in that we are living faithfully and investing towards eternity and not just caught up in the temporal. Lord, it is my prayer also that if there's anybody, whether here or watching by way of live stream, that has their faith in Jesus Christ plus good works, Jesus Christ plus religion, Jesus Christ plus their own character, Jesus Christ plus anything, that they would realize that salvation is through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And as many as received him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And Lord, would you save souls for your own glory, Help us to be faithful and to be ready for that final day. For we do not know when it may be. Lord, we'll give you the glory and the praise. We look forward to our soon meeting with you in Jesus' name. Our heads are bowed. I'm once going to have our pianist play one stanza of an invitation song while we remain seated with our heads bowed, our eyes closed. And I just want you to listen to the Spirit of God and allow Him to speak to you and to evaluate to take an inventory on your life. Mm -hmm.